Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Uh, what a week, Tim. How you been, man? Yeah, not bad, man. How you doing, Jeep? I've been, you know, a little wiped out, a little under the weather, but uh, it just, you know, the week... You know, and it's, it seems like a bad Monday, and it just seems like it's going to stretch on forever. That's kind of the one it was, you know. You just never really caught a break. Stuff kept happening. It piled up. But, you know, I've had a, a little bit of rest, and uh, I want to get back to it. Um, what do you think about this travel man thing? It caught me off guard. <laughs> and you're right, Jeb. It has felt like a really, really long week. I've been having some crazy dreams. Yeah? Like What? I don't know. There was some woman called Emma Rosa on TV. A whole succession of blonde, tall women were screaming at me. Um, there was a lot of McDonald's involved. Yeah, it's just it's, I feel a little wiped out from it all. And then for some reason, I like I, I seem to remember my week ended. I just fixated on this vision of a, a, a of a man staring into a snow globe that had a, a white house in it. Buzzy dream. What can it all mean? Who knows? So uh, the president's in the news again. Have you seen this? <laughs> Are we going to um, maintain this ruse uh, for much longer? I don't think so. Or is it time to to drop the curtain? I'm hoping. I'm hoping the ruse has already been edited down. Yeah, I think we can do it. Uh, how, how was your quadrennial cycle, <laughs> Jib? We're back, baby. Yes, we took an entire presidential term off. But now we are back. You know, I, and I remember at the time thinking, like, honestly, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, so much of 2015 and 2016 is repetitive. I didn't think the guy had any new material, and I think it was borne out. <laughs> well, I've been waiting a very long time for this. You don't know this. I went to the supermarket specifically to get a giant beer <laughs> that I just needed to open up for you for today. I am... Slightly surprised we made it through, like the fact that I know there has been a lot of death, but the planet is here. Temporarily. I mean, I don't want to like, we, you know, before we, we did this, before we, we agreed to get on here, you thought you asked me if I wanted to do any predictions. And I got to be honest, like I'm not even comfortable on the planetary level. Even even a prediction that um, existence will remain for the next four years is too up in the year for you, a non-betting man to get behind. Four years seems like an awful long time on a galactic scale at this point. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Time has changed a lot um, in the last four years. What a fucking ride. How are you feeling? You've Have you been absorbing all the inauguration stuff? Because I've been pretty tuned out and just seeing some highlights like a fair weather sports fan. You you didn't miss a lot. You missed a kind of like a church of high Sorkinism. Uh, <laughs> extravaganza. I mean, it was pleasant, and it was interesting to see, like in real time, a lot of people echoing how I was feeling, which is like, "This is cornball. This is Church of High Sorkin." But I'll take it. You know, I'm fine. And, and and this was kind of like an attitude I had had. We something else we had talked about. Like it's okay to just take the day, take the W. Yeah, man. There's a lot of um understandable cynicism on twitter of people being like oh yay we've got biden everything's solved do you know what go to hell for just give people 72 hours we've been it's been a long week okay <laughs> just give people 72 hours to be able to revel a little bit um i know that's not going to be popular with uh, my fellow leftists my progressive activist wing but just to recognize that people are human beings and we need little little moments of joy to remind everyone what we're actually um, fighting for. Also, I think the kind of, I mean, Twitter is the home of, oh, so you know facts about something? Well, let me supply an additional fact that I'm going to assume you don't. And and so there there has been that attitude of like, well, 
you know, you're, you're celebrating this, but these problems are going to be here tomorrow. And like, I, you know, I, I absolutely get that, but it definitely feels like people four years later, just doing yet another retrenchment on there's essentially no difference between Clinton and Trump and like that ship fucking sailed. And it's that difference, I think, that allows everybody like you can take the week as far as I'm concerned, like maybe work harder next. Don't take as long a week as we did, but take this week (laughs) and then work a little harder next week. But like it's it was an aberration and expecting people not to have like maybe an aberrant weepiness at something that might have been desperately hokey and certainly like, you know, it it was fairly well trod ground from like the you know, America's church of democracy. Like there, there wasn't anything challenging or new, but like if you felt fucked up enough by four years to kind of cry at that, like keep going, (laughs) your body is trying to tell you something. You know who um, I've been seeing a lot of photos of and boy, the man does not disappoint. It's Bernie Sanders rugged up like someone's grumpy Opa holding what appears to be a massive envelope that he needs to go and post immediately after he leaves the inauguration at the post office. Yeah, there were like two, there were a couple beautiful tweets, but like one of them was like, Bernie dressed like it's a big day and this is just his first stop. You know, like he was going to drop by the post office. And- there was the vibe. He's on a collapsible deck chair just by himself, head to toe in what is obviously hand-knitted winter wear he's got these big grandpa mittens on and uh, at various points throughout the day i saw him photograph just yeah holding something that looks like mail that needs to get in a letterbox <laughs> somewhere which i think is fantastic he is going to be the chair of the senate budget committee which in my limited understanding that ain't nothing no no and it's properly frightening to uh that like bernie you know encapsulates the specter of like looming you know, looming Stalinism just perfectly. So just having him be on the budget committee is, I'm sure, you know, intimidating enough. I, like, there's already been no shortage of of memes on that theme from from both sides, including one actually that I saw right before we kind of hopped on here was uh, him and the, the Emperor's chair from Return of the Jedi assuring everyone that the budget committee would be perfectly operational when all your austerity plans arrive. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got a Bolshevik in the Senate Budget Committee and the chair, no less. It's pretty cool. But I, I think, I mean, part of the adulation for, for him or like one, it's just a funny picture and people are just having fun. But he is also kind of like nobody's as pure as the driven. But if you're going to do political memes, there's about a figure you've got, you know, in the, in his case, he's enormously popular. And then there's not as much of a sense of like, well, if you're pointing a figure on finger on Bernie Sanders behalf, think about how many are pointing back at you it, in the same way that if you, you might, if you stick up for Kamala Harris and somebody goes, ah, but back page or, ah, but you know, uh, mothers who don't have adequate childcare and have truant ch- children. It's like Bernie is just sort of, you can plop him in anything and nobody's going to go, hang on a minute. That's disrespectful, disrespectful to Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> and more importantly than um, how these poor schmucks are, Jeb, like what, what have, how have you been, what have you been doing in the intervening period? What's been going on with you? It, it, okay. So I'll, I'll do so people who listen to, I have a, a, a podcast I do with David J. Roth, uh, so who basically became, it was funny, I, I had a job at a, a website called 50 States of Blue, which we had a lot of VC money that was promised for two years and then disappeared in, I think, four months, um, where I was like the Trump columnist for a while. And then, of course, you know, so I'm doing that sort of side by side with Dave and then Dave's took off and it was like, damn it. Um <laughs> But uh, we do we we watch Hallmark movies and make fun of them gently because that was like our response to Trump was like, we just have to do something that's like insanely non-threatening to anyone. Uh, Because for me, like here, I'll just do like a really quick downbeat thing, because if you have been listening to me on that podcast, you already know this. But uh, my wife had just really total postpartum depression for over three years. And that coincided with like pretty much the start of the campaign season. So when like I was about halfway through it when the inauguration hit and then combined with like, you know, the the downsizing that went on a Rolling Stone, um, the the sort of the change in management 
with uh, the introduction of um, what we would call like sort of the turf element of the Guardian op-ed page to the Guardian. So I'd lost these these two jobs I really liked. And, you know, my wife was really checked out and I was taking care of a kid. And, you know, I just gotten off like having 18 months of death threats and shit and like increasing in, in virulence. And I just like I, I was fucked up for a long time. Like I was just really, really, really unhappy. And so it was really difficult to do stuff. And like I have anybody who's like partly I think that's why I'm so sympathetic to anybody who's like, I'm going to take the week because like, I, you know, where am I going to get off chastising you for that? Like I did take the fucking quadrennial cycle. <laughs> <laughs> but you you've things, been busy you, are things better now though yeah well you know i i you know we have uh we have family therapy and i have a therapist and i have a you know a medical regimen of, of pills uh to take to improve my mood but um yeah it's just you know like every time it was just a i think a lot of people went through their own specific version of this is which is why i kind of feel sheepish about detailing it but like just sort of every time you think like okay i got a handle on this chaos and I mm. could start climbing up, something would happen. And I was, I, I finally started to feel good. And uh, one of my best friends, a guy I'd known since eighth grade, and, and I was like virtually inseparable with for the first two years of college, just dropped dead in front of his wife and kids. And God you know, so I was damn. feeling good. And then suddenly I had to go to New Jersey to a funeral in the cold for three days. And like, hey, you know, just that sort of stuff just sort of kept happening. And uh, yeah, you know, go watch a Hallmark movie. Nobody's going to get hurt. There's been a lot of that going around, you know, like just seeing the numbers tick up all the time on the COVID stuff happening in the US. I've been really making an, a concerted attempt periodically in my head to just like try to imagine the scale of human tragedy that is, just all of the the hardship and the harm and, and the emotion that's going on like every time that number ticks up. And it's obviously impossible for for a, a human brain to comprehend, but like... There's just a lot of that shit going around, eh? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, the Stalin's quip is unfortunately always apt. And, like, you kind of have to start thinking of big units that people are familiar with. The one I always try to use with people when I say, well, the death toll's this. And they're like, yeah, but realistically, I'm like, no, realistically, that's like, think of the largest sporting arena you've ever been in. And then picture six of those. And then picture how it would weigh on you traumatically if you had to go through with like just a, you know, a, like a fucking bag full of magazines and put a bullet in the head of 80,000 people and go, well, got to do that five more times. Like, that's a lot. Mm. The enormity of confronting it like you can at least visualize that or like visualize your town. Um, at this point, the American death toll is New Orleans. Yeah, I don't think it's a useful, perhaps, activity for Americans to engage in because obviously you're in it. But I actually think it's kind of an important thing to reckon with, especially for we in New Zealand who, under the stewardship of um, everyone's favorite national leader, Jacinda Ardern, we've we've gotten through pretty unscathed. You know what's fucking hilarious? I do remember just before we threw the towel and you were like, we we should talk about New Zealand politics more on the podcast. And I said, nothing happens here. No one will give a shit. Well, yeah. shows what I fucking know, doesn't it? Yeah, you think you can escape the, the long arm of American fascism, but no. <laughs> We can we can export that anywhere. It's like an iPod for bad ideas. Yeah, but we kind of like preempted it almost by electing a um, really. I don't. I, it's it's quite hard to describe Jacinda Ardern these days. To be honest, I just um, for some reason today sat down at my laptop intending to do something else and ended up writing fifteen hundred words on why she's failing us and how she's failing us at the moment i saw that <laughs> actually I, that, that was not unfamiliar in terms of the complaint <laughs> like as somebody who who's come from you know who who grew up in the bay area and can never ever 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 move back it was like oh interesting so you have a whole country of that yeah yeah <laughs> we've got a whole country housing crisis which isn't like a new problem but um boy is no one doing anything about it but uh but that's fine. So yeah, and the intervening period, I don't know. I don't even know what's been going on with me. It's too long for me to remember anything 
that has happened. I had a, a briefly lived uh, TV show, I think, just as we were, just after we rounded off, because it was in the lead up to that election um, that got Jacinda Ardern in the first time. Um, that was kind of fun, and I've just been doing a lot of podcasting and, and comedy and going around the world. Guy and I made a pilot of the worst idea of all time uh, in New York City, where we lived in a sewer for a week. Uh, <laughs> I liked that. By YouTube. That was good. That was cool. Is that um, and that's available on YouTube and will be in the show notes? Yeah, yeah, we put that up. Yeah, you can you can find that. Got married. Uh, got a dog. Those two are not connected, right? That's... They're, they're different things. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that with one breath and no punctuation. But I uh, also <laughs> more recently helped get a um, person elected uh, in the Auckland Central electorate named Chloe Swarbrick, who's sort of an uh, old friend of mine in a real upset victory. So that was kind of – it was fun to actually engage with the political process where the rubber meets the road and like – do calling and door knocking and um, that real good old fashioned campaigning stuff that you got to do to actually get someone elected. She wasn't is, supposed to win. It was a huge upset. Is that something you had done before? I mean, not for her, obviously, but like, is, is that you were not practicing canvassing and Never. stuff like that? I'd so I, I'd always avoided it because um, I didn't want to compromise my position from being able to write snarky tweets at everybody. Mm. Um, and sort of held that to a, a pretty high value. But just looking around, seeing what was happening, looking at the states as a bit of a potential harbinger for what could be, um, what political winds could be blowing in New Zealand coming up. And more than anything, just seeing what's going on with the environment and the climate, I was like, hey, toot toot, motherfucker, time's up. <laughs> yeah. You need to go and do some stuff now. Like your ability to make jokes at everyone. Uh, indiscriminately without someone being able to point a finger and go, oh, you're a bloody greenie, so, you know, you would say that. Don't care anymore. There, we have simply run out of time for those sorts of games. Let me, let me ask you this. So did, did it challenge your priors going into it? Were there things that you were comfortable ridiculing before you participated that you were like, you know what, I'm not going to, I can't dunk on that anymore. Like, I know the other no. side of that or... No, I mean, the the person in question, Chloe Swarbrick, did meet a pretty freaking high bar. She's a pretty exceptional person. And I will dunk on her um, when she does something stupid. It hasn't happened yet. But uh, I, I also think part of the reason I support her is I think she is mature enough to understand that I will dunk on her. And uh, that is necessary. That is part of the deal. So, you know, politicians have got to get that. But um, yeah, she's causing a real ruckus. She sing so she's about seven years younger than me. I think. I think that's right. Yeah, turned twenty six, and she single handedly. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> like, I, I know, right? <laughs> she ran for mayor when she was twenty one and caused a real hiss and a roar because she just performed so much better than anyone anticipated. All the media kind of flocked to her and covered her because she was such an oddity for being young. But then, as soon as they put a microphone next to her. She was incredibly articulate on what the issues were and potential problems on uh, solutions on how to solve them and ended up ranking third uh, in a field that I think, you know, usually you start with about 18 people. And I think by the end, there was about seven serious people who saw it out to the end and she came third for mayor at 21. So then got quartered by all the uh, different political parties here in New Zealand, wound up at the Greens and uh, took... The Auckland Central seat, which is our biggest city here, obviously, um, off of a centre-right party that's held it for the last few terms. So really fucked off the Labour Party in New Zealand. <laughs> Tell you that for free. <laughs> that was fun. Because <laughs> they thought they would inherit it. Out of curiosity, how was a lot of it just showing up and trying? I mean, the, re the reason why I extent, ask is... That, yeah. I, you know, I was, I'm looking, you know, tonight as you, you've got the fireworks going off in D.C. and, you know, people are sharing picture after picture of Tom Hanks just looking fucking cold. And, uh, you know... It's not good. I know that guy got it early. We got to look after him. Yeah, he does, he does not say... Like, you're listening to him and you're like, that is a man who has lost one third of his lung capacity. Oh, boy. A, that is a raspy man. Um, he, yeah, we're waiting on on all the wind to come back evidently, but you know, at the same moment that that's happening and you have, you know, the kind of the, the celebrities of the democratic party, AOC's up in Brooklyn at a teamster strike. 
and she just tweeted a photo from it and and it's pathetic how much that's like wow i did i didn't know we could do that (laughs) (laughs) but that like showing up is so much energy you know and and i mean she does so much more than showing i mean she's great on twitter and like has you know the perfect sort of button reply to things but a lot of what makes it a perfect button reply is she gets asked a question and she's like well let me answer it that, that's it. That's the trick. <laughs> Not only that, but she's got genuine experience to draw on because she's been shoulder to shoulder with other people in these movements and constantly having these conversations. I mean, we so Jeb and I had our first call in like four years a couple of days ago to see if we could conceivably uh, bring bring this monster back to life reanimate this podcast i really enjoyed like every six months like trading a d i'm like oh that'd be great oh we could do this we and then just like <laughs> no. forgetting everything <laughs> we were discussing a particular um politician who you had a connection to earlier in life who i'm intentionally not naming because i'll <laughs> leave that up to you and you were saying that they they're, they're like they're part of the federal government and they i think represent that trope on the right of family entitlement and you just step into something and it's no wonder that the guy sucks and always sounds stupid when he's asked something because he's he's got none of that experience of like being in any any kind of ideological fight he hasn't been having those conversations earlier in life yeah i mean well uh, the person we're talking about is is matt gates who went to my high school after I graduated and he was on the debate team when I was a coach, but Matt was failing out of the Okaloosa County school system when his daddy decided to run for school superintendent. So we had to, he had to bring Matt back from the private school he was shipped off to cause he couldn't get through like fucking blue elementary. So he wasn't, this was not a, a child who was um, predisposed to labor to begin with or cleverness and, you know, America has has reaped the fruit of that. Um, like, I think the way that that, you know, at least AOC, I, I don't know if I can it, it applies to the, the politician, the Auckland politician you were you were speaking about. But like the thing that makes them unique is not necessarily from like the Matt Gates's, but from the people who are like, you know, like the um, the Simpsons episode where Abe Simpson winds up writing all the scripts and and. And he was like, this guy's got something you eggheads don't have. Life experience. And actually, I wrote my thesis on life experience. I mean, it's that kind of like, <laughs> it's all these people who went to Harvard and, like, and they, they took like poverty a seminar. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like any any damage is like not, any damage is manageable if it's almost entirely theoretical. Like, oh, you know, we blew out the bulkhead and we lost a thousand crew members to the vacuum of space. Eh. So, yeah, I have been through some stuff because I watched that unfold in real time on a computer screen from the safety of our bunker. So those kind of peeps. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. On this hallowed ground where just a few days ago, violence sought to shake the capital's very foundation. We come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. So, I don't know if we want to get into this, because this might be taking a turn to Bummerville. Sure. But I know you don't want to make predictions. I've already asked you that. Mm-hmm. But what's your, like, readout on... Fuck it, I'm just going to ask you predictions. How do you think this shit's going to go? <laughs> Biden-Harris. They're in charge now. I hate to bring it up immediately, but the dude is very old. I anticipate we will probably get a President-Harris by the end of this term. Sorry to be dark. Yeah, I mean, it's a grueling schedule, but he's not going to be on his feet the way he was on the trail. He's not going to be traveling the way he was on the trail. I think, you know, the 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 exhaustion that people are seeing from him is certainly an effect of that, because if you catch him at different times of the day, and I don't mean like only morning, it's no, this isn't like a sundowning gag, 
But when he's been rested up, he still comes out there and delivers. So I think part of the the broken downness maybe just is is that. Um, I don't yeah, know. and just to specify a little bit, I don't. I'm 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 not saying it's a mental decline thing, which I know is the popular refrain that he's got dementia or something like that. I don't believe that at all. If you watch him do his speeches at the moment, if you watch the speech that he delivered at the inauguration, he's doing the same kind of crank shtick that he's been doing for three decades, which is getting, you know, ever so slightly befuddled every now and then and, and lost a little bit. But like he's always done that. That's not a decline. That has always been the wiggly line for him. But more just um, physical health of being a dude at how old? The eighty, seventy eight. The only thing I, the only presidential or political facts I know are about Trump and Jared. That's it. That's the only. <laughs> that's all that happened. It is the years. grimmest pub quiz ever. It is. I mean, like, have you as a looking remotely? Have you you know? Because I know you read uh, you know American papers and and. Are you just like looking at all the articles and going like, oh, there's only two I need to read today? Because I definitely had that attitude. I was looking at the post and I was like, well, I know that nothing's really happening there. Nothing, You know, I just sort of already caught myself going like, well, that's not on fire. That's not a crisis. Nobody's going to die. I don't need to read it. And I, and I immediately was like, oh, shit. If Hillary had won, I'd be at brunch right now. You know, like that kind of, oh, I'm already <laughs> checking out. I'm already being complicit in indifference. Yeah, I guess that's right. I, I, um, it's interesting. I absolutely checked the fuck out of the news, and I, I did it um, mainly when I stopped doing the uh, briefly lived TV show that I was hosting because I had to be like so on the ball for that. We didn't have any. It was, it was very funny. The guy who was in charge of the channel, which it's New Zealand, had very limited budget. Basically, had this idea that he wanted to do the Daily Show. Um, but it was just <laughs> just me and this guy making it who has no experience in politics, um, current events, uh, programming for the news, anything like that. He's got a background in like reality television. And then it was just me. So I had to kind of consume everything. So as soon as that was done and New Zealand had been through that election cycle, I really washed my hands of um, that constant addictive news consumption cycle that I had gotten myself into, and I feel both dumber and happier for having done it. <laughs> like, it literally is a noticeable change in, uh, in both of those respects. So in terms of, like, monitoring the, the fires and the crisis situations, I am now getting... I think a true a picture of how most people live. I'm getting news via osmosis. Which I know is a really dangerous way to um, get your information on what's happening, but I've uh, I've got my little podcast that I listen to. I've got my little subreddits that will bring things to the top of my feed if they're breaking on the day. But um, I'm trying to read more books, to be honest, and and read less day to day news. I don't know if that's a a good, helpful, or politically moral thing to do, but uh, it's what I've been doing. See, maybe the trick is, and this is, and we got to get back to the predictions in a second, but like do the thing I do with the, when the New Yorkers start to back up, you know, you just take all of them and you just put them in a box for about nine months and you take them out and then you immediately don't read anything that's already irrelevant. Oh yeah, that's good. Keep everything at arm's length a little bit and see what comes out at you from the page. Right. Or like, you know, meet the new, you know, the new uh, head of the the Trump EPA, and you're like, well, if you wait long enough, right, like <laughs> 32 separate ethics violations will get, you know, like, I don't need to know that anymore. Get the fuck out of here. It's funny you bring him up because uh, I saw a clip of Rachel Maddow on, what's Seth, what's his name? Seth Myers, Late Night with Seth Myers. Thank you. And uh, they were talking about the fact that, that I can't even remember who it was, but the chief of the EPA had that like telephone booth installed in, an, in his office so that he could make hyper secure calls. Yeah. There, so there was a skiff in the EPA building, but he needed his personal skiff. And like <laughs> the first thing that everyone goes is like, well, he's just doing crimes in there. Right? <laughs> that, that guy's doing crimes in that box, that little box he made, that like, little crime box. Like somebody drills a hole in the side of the skiff and then all you hear is like he's just reading odds to people. It turns out he's running a bookie operation in there. <laughs> I re Someone will definitely, they'll be doing, they'll be in the process of this right now. It's probably at the printers, but just like a book 
of all of the scandals that's like a coffee table book. So you can just pick it up and flick to a page and it'll give you the date and a news story of some absurd thing that happened. Like when Jared tried to get a um, phone line installed so he could directly talk to the Russians when he had no security clearance. Or when it, or when he showed up in, in Arabia like reviewing the troops but he was wearing some tight like Italian tailored body armor. It's like, well it's got a higher <laughs> arm slot and it's got the double venting on the back as opposed to the single. God damn. We changed men. We're in a different world than we were last time we, we did one of these. That's for sure. Yeah. Suits are thinner. Lives are shorter. Um, so predictions like the thing that that sticks with me is that, you know, everybody's really keyed up right now about the idea that corporate donations and uh, are going to dry up for, you know, the, these offending these, you know, Republican malefactors. But that optimism isn't borne out even by like the the data on the ground right now because those same corporate uh you know entities can still they haven't pledged not to do any pack money so what's no longer going in the front door is probably just going to come straight in the back so i don't think that there's really any penalty that these guys are going to face and if you look at the republican caucus it's like you know it's romney and situationally some other people that we think of as like being sort of the standard bearer of the Republican party or like the, the sort of overall tone and approach. But like at that, now it's the outlier. I mean, everybody, you know, it's, it's pretty much all lunatics and I hate to be reductive that way, but like, you know, when they're not lunatics, they're people who, who cosplay as lunatics to their own advantage. And, you know, they're, they have elevated not listening and, you know, deliberately misunderstanding to a virtue and have been repeatedly rewarded for it. So I don't see the deterrence on the horizon unless the Biden administration does sort of what they started doing today, which is just going insanely fast. Just do the Trump thing in reverse, but for good. You know, the, yeah. the Bannon said, like, let's flood the zone. But instead of doing it with mm. lies... Just do it with like proposals, rule changes, regulations, just throw laws at Congress, make the Republicans say no, no, no over again, make them define themselves. And that can work. But like, you know, the the refrain that you've seen, and this is kind of getting back to the doomsaying thing of people going like Trump is gone, so everything's fine. But like, he's gone, but all of the underlying conditions are there. And 50 of them are senators or 49 yeah. minus Romney. Yeah. Um, I think that first point you made is something that so bears like repeating and holding on to a bit, which is that I personally had this assumption that once we started getting to the end of the road of this thing, when we started winding down, that the Republican Party would have to start to reckon with where it's at for no other reason than simple math. Like you've got to try and capture half of the country um, to, to stay in power. And they haven't done that. Like you said, it's been my observation as well that the the people who were there, I couldn't name a second person after Romney. Like I noticed that you said Romney and a few other people. I don't know who the even other person is that isn't a flaming lunatic. Yeah, like Bob Corker retired. Uh, it's like Corker. Uh, God, who else? Exactly. <laughs> this is my point, right? It's a very scary thing because I know this isn't a um, completely new idea that I'm floating out there, but the fact that Trump was as stupid and feckless and easily distracted as he was, there is, uh, I think, a pretty low chance that that'll get repeated, that America will get that lucky again, that they'll get someone who is so gifted at uh, demagoguery and whipping up a crowd and getting all of the very real problems that a lot of people are experiencing and fomenting that into bigotry and then arming that into a very um, violent political base. I don't think the next person who manages to do that successfully is going to be as stupid and as Mm ill-disciplined. And uh, that's the reason why the, the real work that needs to happen is an inoculation of the public you know, against this sort of thing, a better education and like better critical thinking, a more advanced understanding of, I don't know, it's not just civics. It's like, I hate to sound like a college professor. I didn't go to university, but 
political philosophy. Like the reason why everyone waves a big flag and says democracy is great. Cool. We should have a discussion every now and then about why and kick the tires on it so that we can remind ourselves why that's the case and what those threats to it are. Yeah, I mean, part of it, like American, you take a you know the average government course in what they used to call civics. You know, not like an AP course, which is the advanced placement accounts for college credit. But if you're doing that, you're going to get like real kind of like child's almanac America. You know, it's just sort of one tautology after another. And that definitely, you know, once you have that worldview and you've got, again, sort of like this sort of high Sorkin church and really both parties in engaged in it, reifying this sort of story of, of America that you've been told by the sort of textbook that the Texas Board of Education wouldn't get pissed about. But, you know, on the other hand, like the the converse of that is that, you know, partisanship intensifies with education because you get better at rationalizing the things that challenge your worldview and ideologically sorting, you know, convenient and inconvenient facts. And, you know, like Ted, like Ted Cruz is that as an operation. So is Josh Hawley, like as people, they're, that mental process, but just given hideous bodies. Well, Josh Hawley's all right. I mean, I hate, I hate to admit it. That's but. interesting then. So if education isn't the thing that inoculates a populace to this sort of a thing, then what do you think is? Well, Is it kindness? Is it traveling the world? Because I don't think we're allowed to do that anymore. Well, one thing, I mean, you know, the. so actually I kind of want to just go back to the, the, the concern you had though. So before I answer that, which is that, you know, you, you're not wrong. I mean, I'm worried, too, about a more effective demagogue than Trump, a more disciplined and more intelligent, focused, more strategic rather than reaction, reactive thinker. But like, I'm not sure that the sort of person who can be that is the sort of person who's going to get elected. You know, but to answer your question, I mean, there's a strong corollary between uh, nativism, xenophobia, uh, street violence with you know, economic downturns, et cetera. So prosperity helps to inoculate that somewhat. America has been very bad at distributing its prosperity. If they get better at redistributing it, that, that'd be nice. I mean, it, I everybody I know, probably you included, like screams at the Democratic Party, hey, you know, taxing the rich people is bipartisanly popular. Republicans like the idea of taxing super rich people. So try it, you know, and, and redistribute <laughs> some things. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously you can do kindness. I mean, I think the other thing is that when we're starting to see it, I mean, just the structure of this entire inaugural ceremony was fuck you for trying that. Um, and if we get more of that in, in the public sphere, even if you're just peeling off a couple Republicans at a time, but just the idea that that gets reinforced because we have experienced passively for at least my entire lifetime, the amplification of the bloody tree of liberty rhetoric that has been almost entirely arrogated to the Republican Party. Democrats don't talk about like basically purging their enemies in, you know, a rebirthing blood. But that has been, you know, that's a, a lifetime's worth of that. And that that does accrete, you know, like those little those little moments of, okay, you can get away with making it this ugly. Okay, we'll make it a little bit uglier and see if you, okay, you got away with it. And then, you know, just this iterative process of like of finally ending up at Nazism after, after a few bits of, ah, we'll just kill the person we don't like. So are you saying that we're learning that lesson now? Do you think that we reached that final line in the sand, which was literally people dying as they tried to overthrow the Capitol building? I I have to hope so, but I think so. And, and partly it's because, I mean, like, you know, you've heard the the line about, it, it got recycled a lot with Trump, um, the line about bankruptcy. It's a, it, it happens slowly for a long time and then all at once. And, you know, that's fascism. Um, it, we've yeah. seen it creeping into the public sphere. We've seen leading uh, Republican strategists admit that this is essentially it, uh, that that not, let's say, overt fascism, but let's say parafascistic uh, reasoning or policies have been seeping in for such a long time. But to get it back to, to what kicked this off, you know, when you talk about people like Hawley or Cruz or this next demagogue, 
what nobody ever mentions is that Trump was actually fun. Like, he was entertaining. He was also funny. Like, I mean... He was fucking funny, dude. Yeah. Like, game recognized game. That guy was really funny. He had beautiful timing for so many things. And, like, especially... And you could tell sometimes when he he really thought of a good one, you could see that sort of, like, ripple kind of pass across his expression. And then he buried it in the, to deliver the line even better. You know, you were expecting sort of like a little bit of glee and then it got tamped down. And you're like, that's that's beautiful instinct. You know, it makes you want to get a DeLorean and hit 88 and grab him at some time around 1979 and just put him on like New York talk radio. Because that would be perfect. Absolutely. Well, my understanding is that this all happened because he was trying to start a TV station. Like that was the actual aim. I think he was um, seen talking to Roger Ailes quite a lot at the very beginning. And he was going to try and make some sort of alternative version of Fox or like out Fox Fox. And that's what got us all into the sticky mess in the first place. Well, nobody's confirmed it on the record, but it's one of those things that, you know, you've had like unnamed source has said they had no plan on election night in 2016 Mm. they were expecting to lose and you know this is just fundraising and building contacts for whatever future business but the i think the precipitate one that i read and it wasn't that long ago probably for the first time in years it's been funny like as the 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 coda to the trump era gets written going back and reading these things that were just like steeped and so immediate in the mind in january of 2018 and now you're like i I was really upset about that, but I can't imagine why. Man, I'm sorry. Do you mean 2016? 2016, right? Yeah, Uh, but like the but supposedly like the the actual thing that he'd that I read that that kicked it all off was he wanted to be um, a Broadway producer. He wanted to be like a great showman on Broadway, and if somebody could have like put him into impresario school. You know, we we could have all been doing a lot better, but uh, Donald Trump wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah, that is nuts. But you know, who are we going to get that has that timing? I mean, Ted Cruz is physically repulsive. I mean, like mm. that's one of the most uncanny things was like hearing people in a Ted Cruz audience talk, like people who'd gone to see Ted Cruz on purpose, still talk about how weird he looked. You know, and he's <laughs> uh, he's just a just this little worm. And Josh Hawley is this little worm. So, yeah, like, you know, if, if there had been a competent Trump, oh, we'd all be fucked. But it was the incompetence that kind of made him, you know, and, and, and things beyond our control. The fact that he had been on, you know, he'd been on Entertainment Tonight for 35 years. He'd been on, you know, Access Hollywood good and bad for for many many years he was on the radio on the tv on the apprentice that shouldn't be overlooked either because the era of families or even friends living in communal living situations sitting down watching the same thing on tv like america watching the same tv show um all together that has sort of ended now because the media consumption landscape is so fractured by streaming services that the thing that was most powerful to get Trump in the position where he could exploit it and become A, a nominee, B, the front runner, C, the president, was the fact that he had this this huge stranglehold over media. And I don't think a person's kind of capable of doing that now. You can become a big star to your audience, but that audience is never going to be as big as they used to be able to be on, on network television. And then if we see any tweaking algorithmically in the social media companies that are inhibits getting people radicalized by this sort of by personalities that are you know magnetic and negative like even then how do you necessarily build that that singular audience i mean he you know it helped that people didn't see him coming as a politician you know you can't put marco rubio on tv for seven years and just well he's on tv because he's marco rubio like trump at least you know it was as, as gratuitous as possible but he put in the branding effort he had that was a lot of a free earned airtime that he put in over his life that we're not apt to see again i would hope you are i think the longest serving senior administration official why have you survived <laughs> immodestly i'm extremely good at what i do we'll have something like 500 
executive orders or presidential memorandum by the time we're finished here. That's about two or three a week. Um, that's more than any other administration has. So I describe sort of my job and my role as being the submarine under the surface. It just keeps pulling on. When all the waves and storms are above the water, below the surface, we just get on with things. I think we should probably wind things down. I know it is really late where you are. I just want to mention one thing as we are wrapping up that kind of ties our two worlds together, Jibber, our countries at least. And that's a guy by the name of Chris Liddell. Does that name mean anything to you? He's Trump's deputy chief of staff. No. And he is the longest serving staff member who's not a family member um, to Trump. And he is a New Zealander. Um, so he, while the capital um, insurgency riots, I'm not sure what the, the terminology we're using is, while it was happening in real time, um, Chris Liddell instructed his PR people to start ringing around journalists in New Zealand to offer them interviews in exchange for not reporting on him for two weeks. And in particular, the the first guy to blow the whistle on this is a guy called Matthew Houghton, who's like a centre-right political strategist um, and and broadcaster, um, recently tried to help the leader of the National Party, which is our centre-right party, um, and it all went famously wrong, which was quite hilarious. But he actually blew the whistle on Twitter. He was like, hey, guess what phone call I just got? And then a couple of other journalists came out afterwards, um, seeing the tweet as well, and said, yeah, I got the same call. So... There's this fucking dude from New Zealand who's been incredibly successful in business, joined the Trump administration, managed to stay just under the radar, but was beloved by the entire family and really trusted by Trump himself, became deputy chief of staff, stuck out the entire duration of the thing, and now is trying to escape back to New Zealand to start his life anew here. And we cottoned on to it, and everyone is just like, absolutely not. That is not happening. So it's an interesting wrinkle recently to see what's going to happen with this guy from a, a really small town called Matamata, where he's going to end up now. But he just seems so radioactively toxic that I don't know what you do with your life after this. I'm sure there's a cigarette company that needs somebody to write press releases somewhere. But uh, you... In bringing up the insurrection, you reminded me of the thing that I wanted to come back to before we go really quickly. And it's just when we talked about when you asked, did I think that the capital assault would sort of break this spell? I mean, this is something you see in history over and over and over, you know, the in, in, enough that it's a tedious metaphor, even within journalism, but people obsessively always fighting the last war uh, because they they lack the ability to reimagine the 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 struggle in anything other than the last formative terms for them right so like the classic example is the french going well we're not going to have world war one happen again we're going to build a maginot line and then instead they get an extremely kinetic war that is not based on fixed uh, uh positioning right so like for the democrats they've spent 40 years getting their ass kicked to this rhetoric but it's never you know, it's never blown into the open. And then seeing it, I think that's going to be catalytic in a way that, you know, even Trump's rhetoric wasn't. Because you could always sort of say like, well, yeah, but he's just a blowhard. It doesn't manifest really in the world. Or when it does manifest, we can get by with the this sort of uh, cover of, well, it, this guy is clearly a lunatic, right? This this guy with the the van and the mail bombs. Like if you, you see the painting on, on the van, like he's, he's nuts. But this was, you had basically everybody that the conservative movement has told us is like a premium plus American citizen, police, soldiers, and Republican office holders. And involved in this, like this spontaneous and like, ultimately hair's breadth away from being terrifyingly successful action. And I think that is enough to finally make people go, 
you know what, the pattern that we've been locked into because we think that these these are the only norms that we can use to constrain the chaos of politics. These are the only schema we can direct things in. Now you're going like, no, they finally broke it and we get to do something different. And that's why I kind of, as I was saying earlier, I was encouraged by just the sheer velocity of everything the, the Biden administration did and they can keep it up. That would be incredible. And then they can use that momentum to reset the terms of the debate. You know, they, as I, as I was saying earlier, just keep putting bills in front of Republicans and make them vote against them and change the story. But as long as as Democrats think that any bill they introduce is going to diminish a fixed amount of political capital that cannot be replenished over the course of a term, right? They, they seem to not understand that if you do good things for people at the start of a term, you actually can increase the capital or not decrease it over the course of it. And maybe kind of awakening to the fact that that's a possibility can can completely reframe how it's approached. Like just the idea of permissibility in government governance and also what is now going to be anathema to us as a people. All right, Jeb. Well, on that, um, I think ultimately positive note that you think that the insurrectionists got so far as to break the current system that we're in, which gives us hope for a, a new possible future in an Overton window that has been enlarged and opened. This metaphor is not working very well. Um, it's really nice to see you, man. It's good to it talk is. to you again. I'm really glad you're alive. I'm glad that your country <laughs> still exists. I'm glad that uh, democracy is still the prevailing system um, of, of uh, constraining power in America. And I, I, we're all wishing you guys the best. We really are. We're, we're hoping it goes well. Yeah, well, listen, as as somebody who is in, lives in a nation of potentially more collateral damage from us, I understand it's self-preservation. It's like, no, we love you. You're great. You're great. I'm just going to back away slowly. I got my hands up. One single stray <laughs> nuke in the right location would take out the entire country. But um, we will catch you guys soon. In the meantime, just look after yourself. Do whatever you need to do. I was speaking to someone on Twitter today. She was like, I'm just going to get really baked and have a really long bath. That's what I think my psyche needs to get into this this next phase of things. Yeah, that's, uh, I, you know, take the day, take the week. We'll, we'll reconvene and try to maintain this positivity in spite of the fact that really, I don't think at any point in our lives we've been given any reason to believe in it but (laughs) you know like if if we just go kick lucy hard enough we can get the football and we can give it to somebody else this time tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.